You're listening to the Roundtable Podcast, episode 49. Dear listeners, I'm Brian Humphrey. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to the Roundtable Podcast. Each week on the Roundtable Podcast, Brian and I invite writers to come onto the show and present a story idea to us and our esteemed guest hosts, plural. That's right. And then we mash that sucker down into a rich and pulpy goodness and extract the <laughs> essence and flavor that can then be artfully crafted into literary gold. <laughs> We're, 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 we are craft, we're fine craft beerers. We're, we're craft brewers here of, right. of the fine story. See, I, I can see that totally hitting the, hitting the shelves at some sure, point in time. Sure. Well, we, we've been watching an awful lot of networks on, you know, flavors and extracting and pulpy and gotcha. it's all rattling around in my brain. That's yeah. it's infused your vocabulary. So yeah, that's yeah. right. I'm looking forward to a six pack of literary gold being available on the shelves uh, at your local uh, uh, beer brewery. I think that's going to be badass. Most definitely. Definitely. Crack into that bad boy. <laughs> get get drunk on that goodness. Yes, indeed. And before we roll into the the, 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 the rich, rich, pulpy goodness that is the round table, I have a couple of announcements. Yes. Um, I'm going to be at Balticon. I've put my name in for panels. Uh, there's even talk of the possibility of doing a live round table podcast recorded at Balticon. Awesome. Which is epic badassery. That is yes. very cool. Yes. Yeah. And I've actually, I've started a new group where I'm in the process of starting a new group. I'm, I'm calling them the League of Extraordinary Vocalists. Mm. Yes. Now, this is, this is the idea is at, yeah. at, at Balticon last year, uh, there were some, not, not a lot, but there were a few writers, authors who were doing readings. And I got the distinct impression that they really didn't want to, that either for whatever reason they had a cold, uh, they didn't feel like they had a good voice for it or whatever. I got the feeling, you know, you guys, you, you really didn't want to do that, did you? Um, so knowing so many voice actors as I do, uh, and so many of them being sure. at Balticon, I figured let's create this organization who, who, and Doc Coleman came up with this great term, stunt vocals. Uh, we're going to do stunt vocals for the <laughs> readings. If, if, and I, I haven't even presented this to the Balticon staff yet, they might just totally shoot it down. But, uh, I, I think it'd be cool to have this, this, this marauding band of vocal performers, uh, going around and, and making our services available to the authors that, that want for whatever reason to have a professional vocalist read their stories when they do these story readings. So that's, sure. yeah. that's, that's in the offing at this point. It's a cool idea. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm I'm full of yeah. that shit. I I'm just ideas. Holy crap! <laughs> Did so. you just say you're full of shit? No, I said I'm full of that shit, which is different. Oh, oh, right, right, right. Of course, bastard. Yes. Yes. So, uh, uh, and speaking <laughs> of not full of shit at all, uh, and and actually full of frothy awesomeness and creative mojo. Yes. Uh, what do you, what do you say we introduce our our guest hosts? plural back into into the big chair shall we i think that's a great idea ladies and gentlemen i am so very pleased to welcome back to the overstuffed chairs we actually had to get an extra one and pull it up to the table uh uh the evil geniuses and creators of the amazing kill shakespeare comic uh which is evolving and mutating even as we speak into into stage productions video games and feature films ladies and gentlemen please welcome Mr. Anthony Del Call and Connor McCreary. Gentlemen, thank you for coming back and workshopping a story with us. This is so awesome. Thank you. Thank you. No, well, thank you very much. My only complaint is that Connor got the bigger chair. Oh. 
He was here, he was here Connor, first. Connor got oh, the bigger I told you that was going to happen. I, I, I measured them. I thought they were the same. Holy crap. Anthony, are you I sure? I am more evil. I, I think that's fair. I, I the, the evilest of the geniuses gets the, gets the bigger chair. The geniuses of the geniuses gets the smaller chair but figures out how to make it larger. So there you go, Del Call. That's your challenge. If you're such a genius, wouldn't it be the genius of the genii? No, no. Mm-hmm. I, that's why you're the genius of the genii. Genius of <laughs> I'm just I just find the evil quotient, you know, it's because I'm a redhead and I've made my peace with that. All right. Let, let me let me let me just settle this once and for all. Anthony, what what, what Connor isn't aware of is that there is a huge stain on that chair that we just barely covered up. So really, I think you've got the better chair. And the whoopee cushion. <laughs> oh, I'm aware. And I like it. <laughs> Gentlemen, I, I gotta tell you, just in 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 discovering and exploring uh, all of the things, not only the awesomeness of Kill Shakespeare, but the plans that you have and the work that you've not only invested so far, uh, uh, but the work that you continue to invest in infusing this, dare I say, franchise uh, uh, with with life and, and incredible potential uh, with a stage show and a feature film and a video game and so much else. I, I was wondering if you would just take a... We only got five minutes, guys, okay? So five minutes. What is the key awesome stuff that's coming up so that our listeners can tune in and, and rock out to the awesomeness that is uh, the, the, the Del Cole McCreary awesome train of Kill Shakespeare? Uh, well, I mean, uh, for those that don't know and, and didn't listen to the previous podcast, Kill Shakespeare is an action-adventure story where we take all of Shakespeare's greatest heroes and most menacing villains and we put them all together. On the same world, same adventure, brand new story, on a quest to track down and kill or save a mysterious wizard by the name of, wait for it, William Shakespeare. I didn't see Uh, that coming. I know, I know. (laughs) Shut your mouth. uh, Okay, I will. Uh, (laughs) He was talking to me. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, currently we have out, uh, available for sale anywhere. We have uh, two volumes of Kill Shakespeare. So volume one is issues one through six. Volume two is issues seven through 12. So that's the first uh, story of Kill Shakespeare. Uh, In February of this year, uh, 2013, we're debuting a five-issue new series called Kill Shakespeare, The Tide of Blood. Uh, which is a continuation of the series. The characters that survived our previous uh, two volumes um, uh, embark to the mysterious, magical uh, Prospero's Island from the Tempest. Um, So we have continuing adventures on that. We have stage productions, which are touring all over the world. Uh, We have production in Dubai in April, uh, production in Chicago for a couple weeks in March, April, uh, and we're going to be playing a number of other comic conventions around North America and uh, overseas. Uh, We're doing the convention circuit, of course, and making appearances at all the top conventions in 2013, much like we did in 2012. Uh, Connor and I are developing a feature film screenplay of Kill Shakespeare at the moment, uh, and also we are prototype stage on enhanced graphic novel and mobile game. Holy crap. That's amazing. That and see, I, I can't. I, I will do my best, gentlemen, to, to shove all of that awesomeness into the liner notes. But really, uh, the schedule that you've kept, all of the con. I mean, I know you're going to be at, at like Fables Con, right? Fables Con. We're going to be in Fables Con. Uh, we'll be in Orlando. We'll be in Chicago. We'll be in Calgary. We'll be in uh, Dubai. We'll be in New York. We'll be in uh, San Francisco. We'll be in Montreal, Toronto, Halifax, Los Angeles, Chicago again, Anaheim. <laughs> London, uh, well, we'll be a few places. So basically, you, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting either Connor or Anthony somewhere at some awesome comic or, or, or fantasy con. Am I, am I reading that right? Nor would you want to. Well, I, well you know, <laughs> I, I suppose not. I suppose not. 
Well, gentlemen, that's fabulous. Is there anything else that the fans have got to know about Kill Shakespeare or or either of the things that are coming up? Something something that you want to tease and 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 whip up into a froth of of interest that may blossom into something even more amazing? Mostly just that the stain on this chair tastes like chutney. <laughs> I wondered what you were doing. Holy crap. (laughs) Okay. Well, on that note, gang, uh, I, I, gentlemen, I promise we will make sure that all of that goodness gets as much of it as possible can get into the liner notes so that our listeners can, can delve deeply into the awesomeness that is kill Shakespeare. But for right now, uh, I'm going to propose that we take a brief pause or we're going to share some airtime with another awesome podcast or ebook or Kickstarter project, uh, uh, whatever, whatever audio goodness is out there, friends, we'll make sure that we, we showcase some of that. And when we come back, gentlemen, I would very much like to workshop a story. What say you? Brilliant. I say huzzah. <laughs> How Renfair of you. <laughs> Excellent. Very good. We will rock that vibe. Friends, don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. Welcome to Reader Writer. My name is Ben Delano. And I'm Mary Ellen Warren. Hi, Mom. What is Reader Writer about? It's about reading. I find it really difficult to do actual, you know, tree killers. Yeah. Well, okay. It's about audiobooks. The enjoyment of a book is so subjective, isn't Mm -hmm. it? The different format you're listening to or watching or reading. Actually, it's about any written media. This movie is essentially you can break it down into three one-hour-long TV episodes. And sometimes how it's written. Watching that and realizing that really made me think about how you construct a story. I get a total different perspective from it, and I think that's one of the huge differences between reader-writer. Or breaking it apart in details. Oh, you're so anal, Ben. <laughs> when you're writing, you do actually start to think of these people as being alive, and you don't want to do anything mean to them. Visit readerwriter.ca or find us on iTunes. Lords and ladies, welcome back to the Roundtable podcast and what I guess at this point would be the sixth chair at the table. Yes, excellent. Brian, our guest writer for this episode, was born in a city that changed owners six or seven times in the last 100 years. Yes, he he learned English from Star Trek reruns and is now a pediatrician in an area of Brooklyn where English is the fourth most common language. He writes mainly flash fiction and has been published in Nature, DSF, Idiomancer, Cosma, and other markets. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the writer's chair, which has been freshly cleaned, I promise, at the round table, Mr. Anatoly Belilovsky. Anatoly, thank you so much, man. I know it's never easy to bring your babies up uh, uh, for scrutiny and discussion, and we really appreciate you bringing a story to the, to the show today. Thank you, man. Well, I appreciate you having me, and let me tell you what I do to my stories. Uh, you guys are welcome to try as well, but I abuse them more than anybody else can, can ever. <laughs> awesome. Well, we will do our best not to abuse them, but rather massage them. Actually, what was Brian? Brian's going to puree it and apparently add some basil. Uh, that's right uh, and garlic uh, and that might spice it up but uh, but yes okay good good that's I think that's a good spirit to enter in here so so Anatoly where are you originally from well the city is now called Lvov it's uh, or Lviv or Lemberg uh, it's uh, the five or six or seven owners included Austria-Hungary Poland Soviet Union uh, Ukraine 
Um, I think there were some others uh, that I'm overlooking. Uh, oh yes, it was part of Germany for a while. Uh, it's uh, you know it's it's an ex it was an exciting city to grow up in. I'll bet. Uh, the other part of the story is how we came to the states. We were traded for grain under the the, uh, uh, the uh, Jackson Winnick Amendment. Oh my God. Uh, to the grain sale bill, yes. Um, and uh, it kind of uh, was all, all uphill from there, uphill meaning in a good way. Sure, yeah, things can only, once you've been traded for grain, things can only go up from there. That's, <laughs> wow. Yes. I, yeah. I agree totally. <laughs> well, and Anatoly, let's let's dive into this, because I, I, I am eager to to delve into your tale and, and have Connor and Anthony and Brian weigh in as well. So, so here's the deal. We're going to give you five to eight minutes Give us the title, the genre, the format. Is it going to be a novel, a novella, a short story, a series? Who knows? Uh, introduce us to the world if it's different from, from the world that we know. Um, introduce us to the characters, your antagonists and protagonists. Give us some basic uh, uh, story signposts and events that you see unfolding. Uh, and, and then we'll dive into it. I'm turning the mic over to you. It's all yours. Thank you. Well, uh, a couple of things happened between our last conversation and uh, this one. Uh, one of them was I listened to some more of your wonderful podcasts. Oh, okay. Uh, which caused me to have a completely different perspective on my own writing, which means I re-tore apart the story that I'm here to workshop uh, and haven't quite put it together yet, So, which means, uh, A, I don't have a title, <laughs> B, uh, I'm going to leave it up to you to decide what, uh, what the genre is, uh, and I will go into what I have in a kind of a comic book storyboard fashion. Brilliant. So, yes. So, frame one. Uh, it's Old Dark Hundred in a, in a little Siberian town, and a Jewish girl walks out of a uh, log cabin. Uh, she is splitting wood for the fire. She is drawing water from the well, from the well uh, for whatever you use water for in Siberia. Uh, and she is cursing. She's cursing in Yiddish, and for some reason, and she's thinking to herself, why am I uh, why am I saying this curse as opposed to some really, really good curses that I also know? Uh, and as she's saying that, she catches uh, a glimpse of the moon and freezes because usually at that hour she sees the reflection of the moon on the onion dome of a nearby Russian Orthodox church, a gilded onion dome. And it's not there. The church that she's looking at uh, in kind of a dim pre-dawn light is now missing its cupola, its onion, its gilded onion dome. And she runs back into the log cabin and says, Rabbi, Rabbi, you have got to see this. And the rabbi, rubbing sleep from his eyes, comes out, looks at the decapitated church and says, oh, no, not again. And you go from there. Well, it turns out the rabbi is a Kabbalah master. And the girl is, uh, could be his daughter, could be his niece, uh, but she really, really wanted to study Kabbalah, and for some reason uh, the rabbi wouldn't teach her, but he did uh, make her uh, do all kinds of physicals, like chop wood, draw water, go, go hunting in the woods in the snow, uh, and also gave her access to a huge library of science books, but not to Kabbalah itself. And he is now explaining to her, well, maybe in this scene, maybe in a later scene, what Kabbalah is. And Kabbalah is an understanding that the universe, whether you call it God or you call it something else, the universe has a really wicked sense of humor. And what practical Kabbalah is, is not actually manipulating the universe. It's giving it a straight line. And this rarely ends well. 
And the last time somebody tried this was the Golem of Prague, uh, and it was a great cosmic joke. Uh, I neglected to say that this takes place in, oh, about, let's say, 1903, our calendar. So, uh, before all the fun stuff of the 20th century actually came, came to pass. Uh, so, uh, we're talking about the Golem of Prague as being the last manifestation of universe's sense of humor. And as this is happening, we hear the train pull into uh, the station, and we mention in passing that it is not doing the chuff, 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 chuff of a steam locomotive, but it is doing the gallop-like drumbeat uh, of the brand new uh, of the brand new diesel locomotive. Uh, um, so we know there is such a thing as a diesel locomotive. So we go around town and various uh, things happen, among which is a meeting with Herr Diesel himself, uh, who came in uh, with the first diesel locomotive to reach this far. And this town is actually, at this point, the easternmost terminus of what is going to be the Trans-Siberian Railway. Uh, And just beyond the town, there is a bridge over a river that at this point is uh, half completed, but it's going to go on to uh, the deeper part of Siberia. And uh, Herr Diesel is uh, is extremely sad about the loss of this church because you see this is now going to be blamed on Jews and he really, really would hate for that to happen. And what can he do to stop that? Uh, and the rabbi at this point is saying to himself and the girl, hmm, he thinks the lady doth protest too much. Uh, I wonder why he is so concerned with this. I have an idea. And we go on and on. Uh, and we meet uh, a man named Grigory Rasputin, the mad monk, who is even then um, inciting the crowd to burn the Jews, burn the Jews, because who else would steal a gilded, uh, gilded top of an Eastern Orthodox church? And they're very concerned with this. And Rabbi says, well, when you see several weird things happening at the same time, they're all one weird thing because there's only so many weird things that can happen. They note in passing that the, uh, that Rasputin's own church is in very close proximity to the marshalling yard where uh, the trains uh, spend the night. So they go there. Uh, it's... It's now a day, and, and then it's uh, it's uh, sunset, and obviously the day is very short. The sun has now set. It is dark. And through the fence of the marshalling yard, uh, they observe the locomotive sitting there. And uh, the rabbi says, do you see the uh, the number on it, 010? He says, yes. Well, think about what that means. And do you see another number scribbled by hand on the side that says 40 and the letter A? Yes. Uh, well, think about that as well. Uh, and as this is happening, uh, the mad monk comes comes out, leaps onto the uh, the locomotive, does something. The locomotive mutates, transformer style, into a great iron bird and flies away. And the rabbi says, "Do you realize uh, what the zero one zero means?" And she says, uh, "Not quite." He says, "Well, that's." Uh, if you read it as Hebrew letters, that's sus, which is uh, which is a horse. So that's an iron horse. And if you take and if you uh, give something the symbol and the substance, the symbol that says horse and the substance of a horse, meaning maybe a few horse hairs stuffed into it, it will tur- turn into an iron horse. 
well, he has just stuffed a couple of feathers into it. And do you know what 48 means? And she says, oh, if you uh, read it in Russian, sorok, uh, 40 is sorok, a is a, soroka is a magpie. And magpies have, uh, have uh, the reputation of um, uh, stealing shiny things. So there has this iron magpie flown off to steal another shiny uh, top of another church. Uh, they come back and they decide what what do they have to do, uh, and she gets this brilliant idea. She pulls lemming skin gloves uh, from her uh, pocket. Uh, she runs and leaps on board the, uh, the locomotive. Uh, Rasputin turns around and pursues her. They're both on on the locomotive. Uh, Rasputin tries to throw her off of it, but she holds her own, being a strong strong woman. Stuffs. Uh, her lemming skin gloves into the locomotive, at which point it takes off, runs off the half-completed bridge uh, into the river off, off, off the end of it. Uh, she leaps to safety while Rasputin flies down with the locomotive, and she later finds him uh, at the riverbank uh, with his head jammed into the mud. And she says, well, he's now growing like an onion with his head in the ground. Um, the cosmic joke has been uh, completed. Uh, we're done with this. Thank God. The end. <laughs> Very good. Well done, sir. Well done. All right. Before we get into this, Anatoly, let me ask you this. What are you hoping to get out of this next 40, 45 minutes of conversation? Yes, I would like to hear brilliant people discuss it. <laughs> well, uh, uh... <laughs> and if you can find some. <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, we, That'd be even better. I'm, I'm looking at a 50 percentile here and I'm not going to say where that 50 percentile drops. I'll let everybody decide that. Um, but uh, uh, I think we can help you out. And totally. I think I think we have the the, the, the tools and the talent. Um, but before we roll into that, uh, uh, we really must cover our ass. Brian, would you be so kind? I'd be happy to. So, uh, Anatoly, in the process of workshopping your story, we will be coming up with a lot of different ideas uh, as as varied as the four of us are. And uh, in that process, a lot of it very possibly could be just complete and total bullshit. And it's up to you to determine what you like, what you don't like, what you want to keep, and what you're going to toss out. Is that cool, Anatoly? Yes, and I built up my biceps shoveling bullshit, so that's fine. Excellent. 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 <laughs> the man comes with the skills needed to get through this workshop. Fabulous. <laughs> All right. Well, it is our custom to take a quick turn around the table and just give first impressions and uh, a couple of questions of clarification if there's anything that's not clear. Um, and we always defer to our guest hosts uh, in this instance. So um, I would, I'd like to lead off with uh, Connor, if I can. Connor, uh, first impressions? Of, of Anatoly's story idea and any questions you might have to to clarify and wrap your head completely around the idea we're working with uh well first of all i mean i love i love the whole kind of russian jewish uh mysticism i i love the numerology thing i, I really enjoyed when you sort of uh described the the you know the 101 and the 48a and and how that creates uh, an entrance into this this fantastical world i really like that sort of stuff myself i think my biggest question right now is I want to just get a clarification to you of sort of what the of what the the big story is in terms of like the plot. Like, what are the major stakes? Um, you know, I, I'm getting a sense that it obviously has something to do with the safety of the Jewish community. Uh, but I'm just as interested in finding out for you what the stakes are, both for the young woman who seems to be the main character, but also our rabbi. You know, what is it that they have lost that they're going to gain? 
what 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 skill are they going to gain from the story, or what what old wound is going to either be healed or left torn even you know wider? Uh, for me, that's sort of what's missing uh, at this point. Anatoly, any uh, insights you can share for that? Well, I'm leaving it up in the air. Uh, the rabbi could actually be an immortal uh, who was uh, uh, previously Rabbi Loeb of uh, Prague who created uh, the Golem of Prague and considers this it his greatest mistake and has since then stayed the hell away from practical, uh, practical Kabbalah. Uh, or he could be somebody who just uh, read about it. But the big, uh, the big stake here is... Uh, is that uh, Rasputin is both doing doing this and using it to uh, to uh, create a, a hysteric? And this is something uh, his own motivation is not anti-Semitic. His own motivation is that he loves influencing people. That's that's what he has. That's what he was in our uh, universe. He just loved having having this psychic, almost like a psychic control over people. Uh, and that's what I'm going to try to put across in this story. Okay. And, and a quick, quick follow-up question, just really quickly, is will Rasputin actually gain a, a type of, a, a, like, a literal or a figurative power from this influencing? Like, you just said something about the psychic influencing. If he's able to influence this sort of mass pogrom, does that then actually give him a tangible power that he can use to further some other game? Yes, but I would hate to put in the uh, the obligatory uh, explanation, uh, the obligatory, uh, you know, James Bond like explanation scene why the uh, why the arch criminal is doing all this arch criminal uh, nefarious stuff. What his what his motivation? Is. Okay, as okay. Uh, as you know, Bob Fashion. So it might be subtle. Uh, you know, just uh, look at the adulation of the crowd as they scream, "Burn the Jews." Uh, which is what he's really after. Okay. Any other questions right off the bat, Connor? No, no, that's cool. I'll leave the floor to everybody else. Okay. Anthony, what about you, sir? First impressions and questions of clarification? Yeah, my first impressions are very similar to Connor's. I mean, the um, uh, the, the mysticism and uh, the magic uh, element to the story are very fascinating. Uh, um, the only question I have are just like to start off. I think just you, uh, just specifically one. So the story here that you just told us is this the first act, or is this the, this is roughly the outline of the entire story? Uh, this is the beginning, the end, and the part parts of the middle. Yes. Okay, so it ends with uh, lemmings uh, with the train going over into the into the valley or wherever it goes. Correct. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, and what, what what do you think that the story is? Is this is this a, a novel? Is this a novella? Is it a comic? What 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 like, do you have a specific uh, medium in mind at the, at this time? Well, I'm usually a flash writer, and when I write something longer than flash, it's because it got away from me. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering how what size this is going to want to be, and then I'm going to write it to that size. But as of right now, my longest uh, published story is forty three hundred words. Okay, yeah, I can I can see this thing being novella uh, at the longest. Sure. Uh, so, okay. Anything else, Anthony, to to start off with? No, I think that covers just the clarification points. Yeah. Cool, cool. Brian, what do you got, man? Oh boy, there's so much to do here, <laughs> and I don't I don't mean that in in a in a derogatory manner at all. I just mean that there's you know there's far, food on the table, baby. Playing around. 
Absolutely. So um, a couple things. One is the um, right now, and it may just be because of the the sort of summary quality of the pitch. It almost seems like the rabbi is just kind of standing there saying, "Oh, well, this is this," and "Oh, by the way, this is that." And um, I really want there to be some work involved, or some discovery, or you know, maybe he he knows this, but he's sort of mentoring the young girl, and so is she going to be able to discover some of maybe with his guidance as opposed to just being told all of this and then suddenly she becomes the hero at the end? Well, yes. Uh, uh, the rabbi is paralyzed by all the knowledge he has of all the things that have gone in the past. So he's afraid to, to, to do anything here. Uh, he's afraid this is going to turn into a huge golem and, and he wouldn't be able to uh, destroy it uh, now as he did in Prague by erasing a letter over his forehead. He just doesn't, doesn't know if he's going to be able to do it. He's paralyzed by knowledge, as people often are. But he is giving the knowledge to the girl in, in hopes that she can come up with a solution, being you know uh, young and uh, fearless as young uh, often are. And she does, in fact, uh, you know, think of a universal pun on lemming, um, which he hadn't thought of. Uh, but he did, you know, he did explain the meaning of the the, the iron horse and the iron magpie, how those came uh, came about, and now it's up to her to uh, extend it, to extrapolate it to the lemming thing. Okay. What else you got, Brian? Anything? Well, uh, is are, are lemming gloves pretty common, or is that because it it seems very um, convenient? Hey, it's a cheap rodent. You can say uh, lots of yeah. things get made of uh, squirrel fur. So uh, it can be mentioned sure. that that this was much cheaper than squirrel fern and just and just as good, uh, and obviously it's cheap because lemmings are supposedly suicidal. So, <laughs> yeah. And, oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Well, and so that that was brought my, me to to one other thing that I I would like to kind of encourage, and that's you mentioned that the young girl, you know, he he's not teaching her Kabbalah. He's, he's teaching her how to chop wood and how to go out and, and kind of be independent and do all of these things. And I'd love yes, to see... The reason, the reason for that is, which I forgot to say, is that nobody should turn to Kabbalah out of weakness or out of ignorance. You can't, you can't get, ask the universe to solve your problems for you if, if, if you haven't thought of every single other solution on the table. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And the, the reason that I bring that up is that I, I would really like to see when she's solving this problem, her drawing on <clears throat> the other things that he taught her yes. as skills that she needed in order to, to solve these kinds of problems or to, to complete whatever it is that she's doing. Absolutely. Yeah. That would tie it in very nicely. Cool. Well, she does, right. uh, she does draw on her, uh, on her physical skills uh, to kick the crap out of Rasputin. Uh, and right. as far as intellectual skills, yeah, I, I think I think some training in uh, you know logic systems and science and thinking thinking clearly would get her to say to herself, "Wait a minute, lemming, suicidal, gloves, let's do this." Okay. Anything else, Brian? I have a ton, but I'll 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 wait until <laughs> next round. Awesome. Very cool. All right. 
Um, for myself, uh, uh, yes, the, the, the mysticism on a personal level, uh, uh, the Kabbalah has always held a fascination for me. So when I saw this story, uh, uh, come into the pipe, it was like, oh yes, this is, this is awesome. And I, I agree this, this, this very, you know, 1900s, uh, uh, it's, it's not steampunk, but it has that nascent beginning of, of the revolution of, of technology, of culture, of, of spiritual thought, all of these things. It's a wonderful time to set this in. So, and, and one of the things that I'm always doing Anatoly is I'm always looking for a theme. I'm looking for something concrete that can identify the arcs that these characters are going through. Now, what you've given us here is some very cool characters. And just real quick, we've got Rasputin, we've got the rabbi, we've got the girl, we've got Herr Diesel and his diesel engine that shouldn't exist because diesel didn't come around in 1903. I don't think, uh, so, and these are your, these are your four key characters within which this story is telling. And one thing that struck me as you were describing this was the common theme for all of these people is influence. The rabbi, the, the Kabbalah is, is temp, tempts people to influence the universe. Uh, uh, Rasputin of course is trying to influence minds. Uh, uh, Diesel is trying to influence commerce and industry by blazing this Trans-Siberian tr- railroad. The girl not so much, and I'm thinking maybe that might be uh, one of the things that we can explore as as a character theme. Um, so uh, what I, I don't really have any questions necessarily to start off with until we actually tease out what kind of story it is we're going to tell, who these people are, and and what we dive into. So I want to I want to put it out to the table now, Connor, Anthony. Uh, uh, what do you want to dig into? What what do we think needs firming up or shoring up? What can we dive into uh, to help give Anatoly some focus and give this story some some edge? Well, Dave, I mean, I think you hit it right right on the nail uh, in what you just said. Is I mean, the questions I have is I mean, uh, the girl is the main character. So Anatoly, what is her arc? Like, what do you want her? What do you want her to learn over the over the process of this story? Well, I'm thinking in terms of the four arcs, uh, you know, orphan, uh, wanderer, warrior, uh, tragic hero. Uh, The first arc is she's kind of adrift. She's there with the rabbi. The rabbi isn't teaching her what she wants to know. She's, uh, you know, left to her own devices. So that makes her an orphan. Then uh, uh, when the rabbi comes out, they go on uh, fairly short, actually. Uh, a vision, not vision quest, but but uh, wondering about looking for clues. One of which is Herr Diesel's interest uh, in the solution of the problem, which tells them that he probably created it in the first place by creating this golem train, this golem locomotive, which really doesn't have a diesel engine. It's 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 actually uh, turned into thinking it's an iron horse. And Atoli, let me let me interrupt you for just a second. Anthony, would you explain what you mean by character arc when you ask that question? Yeah, what I'm asking for is if you if if someone were to read your story um, and then have a conversation with their friend right afterwards, and the friend says, "Oh, so what's the story about?" Then the 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 reader would would say, "Oh, it's a story about a girl who dot dot dot," you know, and sum it up in one line. It's a girl who does this and learns that, like whatever the case is. Well, yes, uh, it's a girl who wanted to learn Kabbalah and ended ended up learning more about it than she ever thought she would, in the course of saving uh, the day against uh, an evil, uh, I guess may I guess you would call her student a mage. And I tell you, are you familiar with the term agency? 
yes. Okay. This uh, what what we're what we're looking at now. Let's give this girl a name. Do you have a name for her? I well, I was thinking of Rachel. Rachel, uh, but, but I'm open to suggestions. No, no, no. Name names are the last thing to worry about. Rachel's good. Okay. Rachel's awesome. Yeah. Rachel's story at this point, as you're as you're describing it, um, she's she's lacking agency uh, in terms of the ability to actually influence and drive the story. She's things are happening to her. She's not making things happening. You know, yes, they're exploring, they're investigating, but these are incidental in the context of taking control of her life. And I think you know, Connor. It, it, is, is, is it because there's not enough obstacles in the way of her? What, what do you think we can do to increase Rachel's agency? Well, I mean, they always say, uh, you know, specificity cures ambiguity. And I think one of the things here, Anatolia, is, is an opportunity to, you know, ho- and hopefully this is what this whole thing is about, is to make some specific choices that are going to create natural obstacles. I mean, because you've talked about the one thing that was very interesting that you said, is she's not being taught what she wants to know. I'd love to see what that looks like. What is the knowledge she wants? You know, because to me, there is your conflict. She wants a certain type of knowledge, and the rabbi is saying he won't give it to her. And one of the really interesting things about you're saying, I like the idea that this is Rabbi Loeb, because it creates a reason for why he doesn't want to share that knowledge. Because he's seen the damage that this knowledge can do, yet, you know, and one of the neat things about being a rabbi is, well, what is his whole purpose of life? A rabbi is a teacher. He has to teach. It is his, his destiny. And I think there's an interesting nut of your conflict. And I, I would really like to know, specifically what knowledge she wants and what she thinks she wants to use it for. Um, I understand before when you're talking about, oh, we well, don't want to have a scene with someone like a Rasputin where he's doing the mastermind, here's every little step of my plan. But I think it's very important, especially for the hero, that we do know what they think they want. Um, you know, and, and the length that they choose to go to get what they want will ultimately indicate whether what they want is a, is a good goal or whether at some point in the story they will realize that their initial goal is flawed and will take on a new, better goal, which will be informed by who they are and the people around them. Um, But I think you need more specificity. I want to know what she wants. I want to know what Rasputin wants. Uh, And I know you said adulation, but I need something more concrete. I don't think you have to make it super obvious. I, I can feel your resistance against that, but I think it has to be very clear for you what influence means for Rasputin, and the same thing for Herr Diesel. Uh, the rabbi of all of them, I think, is the one that is most clear for me, this notion that he may have created the golem, and what he wants is to almost hide away from the world, yet he can't help but being a teacher. And, and into that world, I'd be very curious to understand why he took this young girl as a student, because it sounds like he doesn't want to teach, and I think there's something fascinating in what is it about this girl that made him take her on, even though he won't teach her what she wants to know. Absolutely. And, and Connor and, and Anthony, let me tell you, one of the one of the these the standbys that we have here at the roundtable is the what if. And Connor, you were talking about that in the 20 minutes with um, uh, we, we, we are always free, I think, to say. So what if the rabbi is actually her father? What if she is the daughter of one of the people that died in uh, uh, Prague uh, and, and try and refine and, and infuse possibility into some of that specificity that you were referring to uh, uh, and give Anatoly some, some alternative perspectives on these characters that have been knocking around in, in, in his brain for so long. Well, I think that one's a great idea, Dave. You know, what if, what if the young girl, yeah, is a product of Prague? She's an orphan because of Prague. 
Uh, I had thought before that I hadn't mentioned, uh, I was thinking of her as being the product of the Pale of Settlement, and they ran off from the pogroms in the, uh, in the Pale, uh, and the, uh, the rabbi is teaching her how to be strong and knowledgeable so that she could uh, fight these things with uh, physical and scientific means and not have to resort to Kabbalah, whereas she thinks, oh, I'm going to learn the Kabbalah and I'm going to build uh, an army of golems that, is, that are going to protect everybody in, you know, Kasulovka and Jatomir and all these. Yeah, but she doesn't want that. From all of these. She doesn't want physical training and science training. She wants the power of Kabbalah. She wants Correct. The, she wants the power right, she right. saw at Prague, even though it killed her parents. Uh, uh, she sees the devastation that the pogroms are rolling out, and in spite, oh God, how awesome is that? Even though she yeah. saw the 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 the, the golem destroy her life, she wants that power for herself because she believes she can do it better. So you want her also to be three hundred years old? Okay, maybe not. Um, but something along those lines, something uh, 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 you know, maybe. I mean, we were already playing with history. Uh, uh, maybe there's been another Gollum. Maybe giving, giving, giving these characters a, a taste or an awareness or some knowledge of the stakes allows you as a writer to impart that horror and those stakes to the reader and infuse the story with more mojo, more tension. So, Brian, I heard you uh, 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 chirp up there for a second. Did you have something to add? Well, I guess my my main thing is I want to know why she feels the need to engage Rasputin in the first place. And I know that all of this ties into that, but Rasputin specifically. Like, is there something between the two of them? Because otherwise I just I, – I don't see her doing much more than standing by and watching, even though she has the skill and she has the smarts and she knows how to change it. What is it that is – Forcing her to take that that specific action and put herself on the line, and it would be something severe. Bri, throw out a huh? what if. Throw- well, I was just going to say with with Rasputin. I mean, it, that's a very specific character, and it's it's a great character to use as a villain, especially considering what we've learned about his death and how difficult the guy was to kill. And so, I, I really like. I kind of hope that at the end of this, he's not dead. Um, and she may think he is, but, and so maybe there's something in her past where he took something away from her and she thought he was dead until he shows back up and starts, okay. you know, starts manipulating things and, okay, and tying her, that. tying her a little more intimately to Rasputin in some way. Connor, Connor, what did you have, sir? Right. Well, I was going to say, I'm not as familiar with some of Rasputin's early story, but, you know, I was going to say, what if this is not the first pogrom he's tried to incite? What if one of these earlier pogroms is the reason she's an orphan? And the answer for the golem story to me then becomes potentially this is what, you know, this is, I mean, the golem is a, is a long-term Jewish story. I mean, the, 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 the strong protector of the Jewish people. So she has heard the tale of the golem, and she has heard tale that this rabbi is the man who built it 600 years ago, which is, of course, impossible, but she's heard it, and she wants to believe it. So for me, there's this notion that she escaped Rasputin once before, came to this rabbi to learn from him, to, to bring the golem, to protect the Jewish people because they, they need this protection. And here comes Rasputin again. Whether he's, and I, I, would, I would encourage you to have a reason for Rasputin to be following her. That's something in this program. He's been seeking something. He wants something that she either has and doesn't know it, whether it's a physical object or there's a piece of knowledge, but there's something about her that he wants. And she escaped him once from an earlier program and 
I, you know, I, I would think there's something interesting that she doesn't realize that she's a target, but perhaps our rabbi can piece it together. Because I, I think the key here has to be for a villain is what does the villain want that threatens not only the heroes, but ideally has an even greater sense of threat. It doesn't have to, but I often think, especially with magical tales, to make it a small, like a villain to have a small goal is less effective with a magical tale than to have the villain have a grand, a grand goal worthy of magic. Yes, excellent. Excellent. Good point. Good point. Anthony, what do you think? Weigh in here, sir. No, I mean, I, I'm agreeing with uh, with a lot of what we're all saying here. I mean, the my, the question I have is, I mean, what is Rasputin? Yeah, well, I mean, what does he want? Is he threatening the village? Like, that, I'm, I'm, I'm a little unsure right now. Well, uh, what would you, let's put the shoe on the other foot. What would you have Rasputin being in this context? What In, in the context of the story as Anatoly has laid it out, what does it seem like Rasputin could be here for? Well, I mean, in the context of the story, it seems like, I mean, I'm not sure. See, the setting is, the setting, uh, Anatoly, is the setting a small village? Well, it's or, a is small it Pro- or is it in Prague? No, 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 it's in Siberia. It's in, okay, sorry, in Siberia, okay. So that right there would make me go, okay, so Rasputin is there to, he's trying to take over the village. So, I mean, our main character, Rachel, has to save the village. I mean, that's that's her impetus, that's the... Uh, the um, the the initial drive. I have to say, I have to save my town. Uh, I'll buy that. Although my reading of Rasputin, the historical character, is that he really wasn't concerned with getting anything done. He was concerned with having the raw power over people and exulting in it. He was uh, he loved women. He loved influencing women. He loved seducing women, and he would actually climb up the uh, the staircase uh, of progressively more and more um, noble women until he got to the Tsarina. Uh, and he can't go any further up. Right. So that was that was his purpose, to, to go up and up and have more influence than anybody else. But then he really didn't have a, uh, a program in mind. He really just liked being the person that the Tsarina and therefore the Tsar listened to. Uh, what, what, if, what if this is after Rasputin has died? Like in the contemporary history, what if this is nineteen seventeen? Yeah, like what? If, what if we push it a little deeper? It's after Rasputin has died, and a, he, you, you know want, he climbs the top of the arena to reanimate the zombie of Rasputin. Well, I was just saying the notion that like has been. They talked about how hard it was to kill Rasputin. So I'm wondering, what if they actually didn't? He's not a zombie. I mean, we just don't know what actually would kill him because it certainly wasn't these other things. So I'm, I'm, I was just, you know, what if he's, what if he has survived? And because it feels to me like, you know, here's this guy who was trying to climb. He got to the top. He wanted the Zarina, and then he didn't get what he want, wanted originally. And the interesting thing to me is your location is very interesting, right? We are at the edge of civilization. We are where the railway stops, and there is the vastness of Siberia beyond us. What is in that vastness? Why is it important? This little town where the railway ends. Why is this so important? Is it because of where the railway is going to go? Is it because of what that is going to represent and open up? I think the location of this town is really interesting. I, I, the thing that jumped to my mind was the famous asteroid crash uh, out in, in oh, Siberia. Oh, right. Yeah. 1908, Tunguska, yes. What's out there? What, what did that bring to Earth? What did that bring to Earth that a mad monk who controls powers that you and I cannot control oh, would dude. get his hands on, that he needs, that he needs that the great. railway yes. to bring back? 
Yes. Yeah. And that's yeah. A, that's yeah. a fabulous arc too, because you can have you have Rasputin has gone climbed to the height, the utter, utter height of of social climbing, and he is dashed down. And we can we can play. I mean, holy crap, Anatoly, you're already playing with historical facts and, and tweaking and nudging the the how things are rolling. It's perfectly reasonable to assume that. Every, that Rasputin didn't die, uh, and, and, but but maybe he was shattered. You know, maybe he was deranged, and, and having fallen so far, he's lost everything, and and he's making his way toward. Yeah, Connor, that's awesome to the to the to the mysticism of this impact, uh, and this is on his way, and now he's trying to create. He's using the train as his last leg to get to this final location. That's awesome. And Herr Diesel, well, of course, settling the game too potentially. Yeah, yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, that's Voldemort, though. Uh, you know, that's... Well, but uh, it can be, but it could also, I mean, I don't know. Brian, what do you think, sir? Well, I think, you know, we, we can draw parallels, but the parallel works, you know? And and I don't think everybody's going to automatically look at it and go, oh, there's Voldemort. Um, the the other thing, I, I, I love it. I think that, that that's, that's a really cool track to take, not to... You know, be funny. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but then if you know if you are playing and it's 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 not that long after Rasputin's suspected or supposed death, um, then she could even be somebody who is being hidden in the town who was related to the person who was responsible for his fall, connecting him mm-hmm. to her rather than her to him. Oh, she's a bastard daughter. She's a bastard mm-hmm. daughter, and she shares in his power. That's yeah. why the rabbi has locked her down, because he doesn't want another Rasputin to be created. And so he's trying to steer her every second of every day away from that path that created Rasputin. And she keeps fighting it and fighting it and fighting it because she's she wants that power. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. And, the, and there's something... I mean, the one interesting thing <laughs> tied there with Rasputin is, of course... Rasputin wanting to influence women, whether this is whether this is his bastard daughter or, or not, I think that's a great idea. But you definitely have a theme here of Rasputin influencing women. And his goal does not have to be Voldemort size, oh I want to rule the universe. No, no, no. It, it could be I mean it could be something right, about right. the Tsarina. It could be something about him wanting to get back to to that. Whatever it is that he whatever internal need was going to be filled by that original quest he had. He's still on the track for it, and I, I you know, I'm, I will leave it to your imagination as to what it is that's out there. That this, you know, whether it's the meteor crash, I just think that's well, great. I've always been fascinated by, you know, by that bit of, you know, modern mythology in a way. Well, and the um, question, the question that it raises, and the opportunity that it provides you, Anatoly, is okay. So we all know Rasputin up to this point. He has gone through a life-transforming moment. Who is he now? You know, it doesn't, as, as Connor said, it doesn't have to be Voldemort, but, you know, having gone through the heights of, of physical and, and, and cultural and societal exploration, maybe he's come out the other side and now he's looking for something very, very different. Anthony, what do you think? Are we, are we flailing about here or is this something that you think has merit? No, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely loving this. My question is, because I don't know that much about Rasputin, um, when, was, when was this avalanche, uh, or no, sorry, not avalanche, Aster, the apparent asteroid? 1908. Um, 1908, okay. And Rasputin dies in 1917, right? Yes, shot, stabbed, uh, poisoned, uh, drowned, and I believe bludgeoned as well. So, okay, so what was yeah, Rasputin yeah. doing from 1908 to 1910? 
Well, and that's it. You know, that's like the lost years. That's like the lost years of Christ wandering in the desert. Uh, uh, you know, right. I mean, that you can have all kinds of amazing things happening during that that transformative. You know, it's the hero cycle. He's thrown into darkness. He's thrown into hell, into death, and he's come out the other side. Uh, uh, empowered in some way with some insight or some, you know, maybe he crossed the threshold of death and came back. He's not a zombie, but he took something from that threshold. And I'm not sure how the Kabbalah would, would tie into that or be able to illuminate that in some way. But I would imagine, you know, he could pass through the, 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 the veils uh, uh, and the Sephiroth and emerge with some wisdom that only what has fallen from heaven can piece together for him. Maybe he doesn't know what's there and he's got to, and it's the one thing, it's the spark that, that, that drives him to, to find out. And, and all of his actions up to this point of this flailing madness of a man who doesn't know and is so tantalizingly close to what he wants. Anatoly, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Um, you, you talked a lot about Rasputin and this, this, he, you know, the, the scene, the, Faces of the peoples, they shall burn the Jews. It's the hold he has over them that he finds immensely satisfying. Why, for you? Why is it? Why? Why is that important to Rasputin? Well, this is the thing. I'm not sure if it works as a motivation in a story, but historically, I really see him being motivated by the desire to play with people's soul, just play with them, just manipulate them, just for the hell of it, just to see how, uh, what, what happens. Uh, uh, and some, somebody, somebody who thinks of people's souls as you and I would think of Lego pieces. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It, it, it opens up to me the notion that Rasputin fundamentally looks at those of us around him as, as, as lesser beings, as his playthings. Which would suggest, you know, which is suggests to me that if if you're interested in this this journey to the far reaches of Siberia, and that this town is the starting point, and his deal with Diesel is 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 the combination that allows him to ensorcel this iron horse to use it to get what he wants, it feels like yeah, whatever's out there is going to allow him to play with souls, not in a one-on-one level, not in a who I can reach in a crowd level but in something far more vast. And yeah, maybe it's not because he doesn't necessarily have to have won an army or be a king on the, the dais or, or have people bow to him, but he wants the ability to make potentially the entire world be consumed by his will, be fascinated by him, and to be utterly and completely his. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and you yes, know, yeah. nothing, nothing like knowledge uh, some sort of understanding of people, the ability to to see into one's soul and tease their secrets out, something along those lines, maybe or or whatever. But influence is is definitely ultimately his his final goal. Brian, what about you, sir? Where where where's your head right now? Well, I was I was in a, a play that uh, was written by a guy that did a lot of of really extensive research on Rasputin, and one of the things that came up was that he started out in his own little Siberian town as kind of a screw-up, a womanizer, a drunk, and then he has this kind of religious experience and believed that he was essentially touched by God and was like an emissary of of a higher power. And so, I, you know, bringing something like that in would give him that sense of... Um, 
of supremacy and arrogance that that would drive him to exactly what everybody's been talking about. Uh, so I just I, I wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. Um, and an, another thing that that has been kind of going around in my in my brain while we've been talking about this is um, all of these motivations are great, but I don't want things to get cheapened by um, by the, the sort of the obvious convenient you know oh here's the solution and and bam there we go um, and so I, I I really I what I would like to see in in this kind of a story is you know when you have the number the the zero one zero and the forty a um, that again that kind of the rabbi guide her as opposed to just tell her um, and let I, I want to see her figuring things out because otherwise things are happening to her and like Dave was saying about agency I don't see her stepping forward on her own as much as this is this this is this this is this and then she comes up with the idea and suddenly becomes this this um, very active character who has to save the day and I want to see her making those strides uh, along the way. Well, I can totally see her. You know, one of the things that that, that struck me, you know, seeing the the, the train transform, uh, uh, maybe having something happen before then that alludes to the potential for this power. You know, the rabbi is teaching her, trying to steer her, you know, assuming we go with the idea that she seeks, you know, she's a little Rasputin. She has the potential to be a little Rasputin. Uh, uh, and the rabbi is, is deflecting her. Of course, she's going to seek out the wisdom herself uh, in some way. Maybe he's been deceiving her in some way. Maybe she's been playing with this self-same magic and, and making little trinkets come to life and fly about her room or whatever. You know, I, I can see this arc coming to the point where she sees Rasputin not as an adversary, but as an alternative to the rabbi, as someone who can teach her. And the and and Rasputin being so self-consumed and self-involved, and and so disdainful of women, you know, when we reach that point where she finally says, "Screw you, Rabbi, I'm going to go and and have Rasputin teach me," and the notion of Rasputin teaching anyone is so abhorrent to him, uh, even though she worships him, she's a woman, you know, maybe even exploring the, her discovery that Rasputin is just going to use her as well. And, and have the rabbi return as as her bulwark and her strength underneath. I don't know. Ah, uh, help me out, guys. What do you What do you think? Where Where I, I like the I like the subtext that you're throwing in and all the things that you can that you can pull from that. I, it seems a little too um, not formulaic, but you know what I mean. Try like it. It seems yeah maybe maybe but i yeah. think if you used aspects of it and just the, the very subtle like nature of it absolutely i think that's very cool oh i uh, i like the idea a lot uh in fact uh i i, I think if you make it a battle of uh, for her soul between the rabbi and rasputin uh and herself i, I think that's absolutely brilliant you know have the three of them competing for her you know, she's uh, yeah, this whole thing is interesting, very much. Yeah. Uh, I, I also think you have also the opening, depending on what she knows of her relationship with Rasputin, it, it's possible, if you go that route, that she has that, that blood relation. She may be unaware, but Rasputin, I still like the idea that Rasputin has perpetrated pogroms like this before, like you said, Anatoly, because he, he likes to, he doesn't even so much, he's not so much anti-Semitic, but that's the easy thing to influence these people to do. And so it's 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 like an, it's almost a, a game he's played when he's bored. You know, you go into a town and you stir up a, a pogrom because 
there's that whatever that's whether it's a literal power he gains or the figurative power he gains from seeing it. I like the idea that she was caught in one of those. Yeah. On her journey, that's happened, and so that when this dome goes missing. And there is this sense that it's going to be blamed on the Jews. And the rabbi is sort of agnostic or staying out of it because he doesn't want to get involved in these things. I think she's the one who starts seeking out in the town who stole the dome. That becomes her immediate, like her her first mystery is who stole the dome. I'll figure it out if he won't. That can lead her to learn things about the numbers, to see a number scroll, to see something magical and impossible happen related to the numerology and because she has either been studying Kabbalah on the sly or has gotten a little bit of knowledge from the rabbi, she's able to figure that out and realize perhaps before anybody else does that this is Rasputin at work, Yeah, which then raises the stakes. Right. If we now right. know that Rasputin is affecting pogroms and if also he has this ability, if the story creates the legend of Rasputin, so we know he is more than just a man. And so she's gone out on her own to discover this. And then that either forces the rabbi to act, or she's going to pull him into the story directly. Yeah, yep. Uh, that 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 is. There's a lot of storytelling fuel there. There's some good mojo, gentlemen. I'm I'm looking at the clock and I'm watching it wind down a little bit. There's 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 clearly so much more to explore here. But what I'd like to do is is take one last turn around the table. Uh, uh, and and give Anatoly some some closing thoughts, some some any ideas that we didn't get a chance to discuss, uh, and and fill his pockets with some literary gold uh, uh, to send him off so he can write this tale and 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 bring it into fruition. Um, Anthony, what about you, sir? Closing thoughts, final uh, uh, suggestions, and guidance. Um, no, I mean I'm I'm really excited about the idea. I'm really excited about this concept. I think we've come up with some great ideas here. Um, Dave, I really like your concept or your your uh, your what if that you were just uh, thrown out uh, two minutes ago regarding uh, really it's it's a it's a contest or almost a competition between the rabbi and Rasputin for the soul of uh, of Rachel. Um, so I mean I'd really play that up and um, yeah no I mean. Uh, yeah, I think it's all good and just, uh, yeah, no, I really like it. <laughs> awesome. Connor? Anatolia, I think you've got more than a flash story here. I think uh, <laughs> Yeah. I, I think you have a <laughs> tremendous amount of really, really good material to make something epic. Uh, it, it felt like a fairy tale when it when it came in, and this sounds now to me like one of the real great, uh, kind of a, has all the great elements for an amazing sort of, fairy tale if you let me use that term and i would say i, w- I would say let your let the story grow as grand as you can imagine while keeping what seems to me to be the very human very simple goal of both uh rachel but especially Rasputin. and, I, and I, I i totally hear what you're saying about wanting to resist this notion of him wanting to rule the world in any cliched way and that there is a very internal satisfaction that he gets from it it just manifests itself in you know in controlling us I think there's something really cool there that will make your story uh, elevate itself beyond uh, what Brian was saying, where it gets maybe a little formulaic. Excellent. Excellent. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Brian? Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm really excited about this. I think it's going to be really awesome. And one of the things that I want to say is I love that you're, you're treating the character of Rasputin as historically as you can in terms of his motivations. And you kept bringing that up. And I think that's great. And I want you to hold on to that because I think that if you really dig into, uh, into the characteristics of Rasputin, 
then you have everything that you need for for one of the epic villains um and and just use that to your advantage every little bit his manipulation of women his need for control over people and um i think that 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 will really sort of um richen up the the story and and give you a lot of different places that you can go i think yeah. that's very cool yeah absolutely totally agree and 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 for myself Anatoly, I had I had serious reservations when when Rasputin made the scene just because uh, uh, everybody's heard the name and everybody has con- thoughts about it, uh, and there's a lot of baggage that the reader is going to bring to the table uh, as they crack the book and read the spine and say, hey, this is a story that it features Rasputin in some way. Um, I love the idea of picking it up after he's died and allowing you to explore beyond that. Um, I, I actually, the notion of him dying at the end, uh, I, I'd almost rather see him driven off. Uh, I can actually see, uh, uh I mean, clearly Anatoly, you dig your, 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 your scholasticism around Rasputin is, is in depth and you, you dig this guy. And I think as, as Connor and Anthony, everybody pointed out, as you dig in deeper into this, you're just going to find more stuff about him that makes sense to you. I, I would just put out on the table as a suggestion, having him driven off and having a series of stories where Rasputin moves along his own hero's journey, making him almost the the anti-hero, the, the, the common villain with different heroes showcasing different facets uh, and thwarting in different ways Rasputin's quote-unquote evil uh, uh, could turn into a wonderful, rich exploration of Rasputin and the various aspects of heroism it would take to to defeat him, uh, ultimately bring him to the, whatever the final end is. I don't know. Uh, Anatoly, we got to wrap up, but 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 good sir, thank you so much. This this has been a marvelous discussion uh, and a wonderful exploration, and and we couldn't have had it without you bringing a story to the table uh, to serve as the frameworks of that for that. So thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you having me over more than you can imagine. It's been uh, fun and it's been a privilege, and I've got a lot of useful ideas out of all of this. And I really want to thank you for your time and and your brilliant expertise and really for helping me out here. Thank you. You are so welcome. Absolutely. Now, here's the deal, Anatoly. You write this story and put it out there, whether it's with podcast fiction or 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 an ebook or or a deal from in an anthology, a big six. I don't care. When you do that, you must, must come back to us. First of all, let us know because we want to read it. Uh, and second mm-hmm. of all, uh, we will have you back here and we will knight you, sir. We will make you a knight of the round table and we'll have Bolsheviks chanting your name in the background. Oh, I hope not. No, well, okay, maybe not Bolsheviks. Maybe not Bolsheviks. We'll, we'll have somebody that will that will give it the, the the full weight and moment. But that is that's the deal. Connor and Anthony, gentlemen, thank you so much for your contributions, for 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 your enthusiasm and weighing in and playing in our sandbox for a while. This has been exceptional, absolutely, and yeah. and we are very very grateful. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for having us on. This has been uh, fantastic, and I'm going to. Uh, you merely hop online and do some research on Rasputin. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Our work is done here. Very cool. And as long as we're doling out gratitude and thanks, dear friends, 
thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, uh, as always, we appreciate you hitting that play button. Uh, uh, if if you're if you're feeling like you know this is just too awesome to to exist uh, in ignominy. Ign- ign- oh God! See there, I tr- go trying to use words that I cannot pronounce uh, in obscurity. <laughs> then by all means, be our champion. Put the word out there. Let them know that the roundtable is out there. Post on blogs. Uh, a review on iTunes is always welcome. Uh, uh, and another thing is, so many of you have continued the discussion on our comments for our posts and that has been so awesome please feel free to do so I'll make sure Anatoly knows when the comments start coming in but if you have other ideas or inspirations by all means put them out there Ah, wow. And uh, you can always drop us a line at the table at roundtablepodcast.com Oh, Brian closing thoughts as we take this thing home man. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm, you know, I, I sat down with a, with a ton of energy and this, it, it just, it, it was another one of those podcasts that took a lot out of me and it was a lot of good, um, just kind of free flowing energy. And yeah. I, I love that kind of thing. I love it when we can come up with some good stuff. Yep. Yep. This has been, this has been awesome. And dear friends, as awesome as it is, it doesn't stop this, this chapter of the great tome of the round table, uh, uh, may be closing, but you can of course continue on the comments. Uh, but in a couple of days, it starts all over again, gang. We get more awesome guest hosts, more courageous, creative and courageous guest writers, bringing their stories, more workshopping goodness, more literary gold to be strewn like gold coins upon the masses uh so we do hope you'll return in a couple days for the next 20 minutes with but for now ah we're just gonna chillax for a little bit and bask in the glow of a job well done that's right uh uh, but you know we've got a couple of days to kill brian suggestions on pastimes between now and then get your butts in in seats and go right butts in seats baby hitting on that keyboard absolutely and friends, you find what you're looking for always. So, so, so don't look for blah. Don't look for me. I can't look for. Oh, yeah, baby. And I promise you, you will find it. It is out there. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you in a couple of days. Until then, you guys be cool. Stay frosty. Stay awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast, or you can send us an email at thetable.com at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.